Greetings, I am Jim. And I am Sean, and we welcome you to our podcast. Our goal is to entertain you with our discussions about RPG, fantasy, and everything in between. Come sit by the fire. You're safe here. We'll keep watch. We hope you enjoy 13-Sided Die. Level 2, Episode 14, The Big Homebrew Chapter. As requested from an awesome listener, Jim and I have a discussion about homebrew D&D gods and how to use them in your games. Then we move over to the first of a two-part segment where we create a homebrew world right in front of you. You can also listen for the part when evil internet monsters interfere with the podcast and we almost lose the recording. All this and more on this episode of 13-Sided Die. All right, all right. We are back. At, um, yeah, I think we're, we're almost almost on schedule. Yeah, pretty yeah. close. Close close enough. <laughs> close enough for us. So uh, here we are. It is 13-Sided Die with your good friends, me, Sean, Ardnor Minis, and... Epic Jim. Epic Jim. Uh, really interesting show today. I'm kind of excited about this one. Someone had asked, would we be willing to talk about homebrew gods? And that's just such a cool, cool topic. So um, had to do a little uh, kind of research on my own God Pantheon world. And uh, yeah, I've got some neat stuff. And I know you have some cool stuff to chat about. So it should be exciting. Yeah, exciting. How are you feeling, Sean? You're sick last um, time we recorded. Yeah. And I'm still kind of hacking and coughing. I just can't shake this thing, man. Like, so again, uh, sorry if I cough and hack. I have a Halls in my mouth right now. Uh, we're sponsored by Halls, the mentalyptus <laughs> of choice. Um, hopefully, uh, I don't cough too much, but, um, yeah, thanks for asking. Not too bad. How are you doing? Uh, I got a bit of a junk, uh, food hangover, played uh, D and D <laughs> last night. It's been a while and ate Tim bits for her American friends that stone at holes. Uh, yeah. And like spicy Doritos, mini eggs, wine gums. So but why do you feel bad if you just ate donut holes? Isn't that like nothing? Isn't it <laughs> nothing like, sorry, <laughs> a yeah. bad joke. Um, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, what what uh, which game were you playing? Uh, we're playing our Eberron campaign. Nice. Uh, session was only four hours long. That's pretty like short for us. There's no combat, so like that was pretty cool. We we're just taking care of business in the city. Those are my favorite sessions. Just the Those are fun. all RP. Um, we ended the session. We were boarding a gnome submarine, and we like blasted into the ocean with it. We we picked between three ships, and of course we went with like the sketchy gnome submarine because it yeah. could get us there way faster, like <laughs> in a third of the time. And then, of course, we're tra- a few days into travel, we came across like a shimmering cavern. Yeah, and then of course, being adventurers, we you know got out of the submarine and touched it, and then na- now we're in the air uh, elemental plane. So, of course, <laughs> yeah, that's so. how it goes. Yeah, so <laughs> that's how the session ended. That's awesome. That's very cool. Uh, so talking about, um, if, it, if it's cool with you, Jim, I just wanted to share something with everyone, all those, um, like what, 32 listeners now, I believe, um, <laughs> uh, that, uh, what I find to be super helpful in a homebrew situation, I've used it and I'll talk about it as we talk about some of the gods, but, um, naming things. So, um, it can be very difficult to come up with names for stuff. And we've talked before, there's the website, the um, fantasy name generator, I think it's called, which is a great, great site for stuff. But if you want to have some fun and be a little bit more specific, I've got a little trick that I like to do. So in front of me, I have uh, launched a web browser and I'm on uh, the Google um, search engine website. And I just type in the word translate. And when you type in the word translate, it comes up with two little translation boxes and it usually just picks uh, a language in English. And so what I do is in... I have English on the left-hand side. And so, Jim, let's create a god. What would be your god of what? God of what kind of area, what kind of thing? Anything you want. Pick anything. Of anything? Anything. To pick something. The god of chess. Chess. Yeah. So now what I'm going to do is in the translate, I'm going to write the word chess, C-E-C-H-E-S-S. And then on the other box, I can pick any language. So in Italian, chess is scacchi. S-C-A-C-C-H-I, Scotchy. So that could be the name of your god, Scotchy. Uh, and let's see, if you pick, pick places like Persian, you get really neat Sanskrit, so it's hard to do it. Um, Saschi, S-Z-A-C-H-Y, Saschi is Polish. 
So I just go through and pick different languages until I find one I think is really cool. Sack, S-A-K-K. So it could be the God Sack. And yeah. so your players are like, I don't know, that's an interesting name. But for you, it's a giggle because it actually means chess. <laughs> and so yeah. it's a neat way I found to get names for things. And you just keep clicking on different stuff to you find something that sounds kind of cool. And the languages on here are just unbelievable. In Spanish, it's um, Aje- oh, geez. Ajedrez. Ajedrez. So you could use something like that. Um, Slavic. Satch. S-A-C-H. Satch or Sack. So I use this a lot in my game when I look up. <clears throat> Sorry, coughing already. If I want to name a river or a mountain or a place, um, I just think of something that that place resembles. And then I type it in in English and I go into different language translations and find a word that I think is really cool. And it's, I don't know why, like, I mean, you could just call it Bibli Boop. It doesn't matter. But this to me, it it actually is a a real word. And then it's a tie to what it actually is. And I always kind of get a giggle in my mind that, of course, now if any of my players like or listening there and try and translate any of the words of things in maps and stuff. Because a lot of things in maps mean something. Like if you actually type in the word and translate and find what language it's from, you could probably find out what some of those things mean. And I just think it's kind of a neat hidden thing in there. But uh, it's a great way of coming up with words that I've found. So that's my little uh, kind of homebrew two-minute tip. And uh, as we go through stuff today, I'll, I'll mention if there's any of these uh, gods uh, that have created that um, have that. Oh, that's awesome. It's It's so hard to think of like original names on the spot or even not on the spot just think about for hours you're completely right and that's where i got to after if you homebrew a world you are making everything up and uh, now i will throw the disclaimer out that some of my gods may sound familiar to somebody because i might have stolen one or two from somebody else's homebrew uh i checked to see if there are any of them were D &D, because i did have like i have alana and obed high and those kind of very known gods in my world but i in my campaign in my world i wanted to put in as many non D &D, uh gods in there as i can um maybe that's a good thing to talk about like people would say why would you do that why wouldn't you just go with the gods in the book it's a great question i like myself having the gods that i create because no one knows what they are no one knows anything about them and i think that's really interesting to me that players would get to know the god they might have chosen or the god that they're tied to without all that knowledge that they're coming to the table with, which I think is kind of fun. And then I let them also build that god too. Like I let the players tell me about their god. And again, player involvement, player engagement. Yeah, and depends um, how much you want to do that too. Like you don't need a ton of complicated gods in your homebrew world. You could have no. three gods or you could have one yeah. god. Yeah, completely. If you just want to scratch all that so you don't have to remember any of that, <laughs> you just go, you all, all the paladins and all the clerics pray to one god yeah yeah uh, and you know and why not that could totally be the way it works right um what about you jim do you have any comments uh, initial comments on kind of home brewing gods and that kind of stuff um i was just gonna say like incur like i to make your gods more prevalent in your world uh like roll to talk to your gods mm-hmm. hey your clerics and paladins before you go to bed hey roll d20 like let's see if you if your prayer works or, Hey, are you going to pray before bed or that's cool. Whatever, you know, um, encourage like praying and visiting holy sites and then give them little stat increases, even just for 12 hours for doing that kind of thing. Cause then even, even meta gamers will be doing it just to get those stats. (laughs) Totally. Completely. Um, yeah, I love that. That's, that's really great. It doesn't, it makes players engaged, uh, with their gods. I, um, so as you know, for my, uh, game, I have a website that I put together. So each, um, game we play is kind of put in as an episode and uh, I have maps on there that the players can go and look on when they've been somewhere. And I have all the gods listed so they can read a little bit about the gods. Um, my homebrew gods I have listed down as gender and then alignment, whether it's good, evil, or neutral. Um, in my world, there was a thing called the cleave that happened and it was a big, massive change in the kind of the kingdom and there's an assassination and a different kingdom takes over. And so it's, there's the before the cleave and after the cleave. And so in my thing, it lists uh, gods of which age, are they from the old age or are they from the new age, which is after the cleave because new gods were created after that. So that's just something that I have in mind. If you're cool, I I wouldn't mind starting with a a god uh, that I created and have a little bit of a a talk about it, if that's okay. And it does relate to you as well. Oh. So um, the god that I created was called Zonin. Z-O-N-N-E-N. It's a female god. Uh, It's a a good god. And it's an old god. And it's the greater god of the sun, life, and judgment. 
for all my gods, I created icons uh, for them that you might see, you know, in different places, iconography, and it's obviously the sun. And what it is, is the word zonin is Luxembourgian from uh, Luxembourg. Um, it means sun. Like in Luxembourg, they would refer to the sun as zonin. So it does sound like a god name. Zonin sounds sick. Yeah. But uh, I thought that was kind of neat. So this is a little excerpt out of a game that we recently played, and Jim was there with us. Uh, And so I've got the thunderstorm worsens as they head west and they try to skirt it. At that point, they encounter a floating stone face. So the players, I did a random roll. So we let the players do a random roll, and it said, yes, it was some kind of encounter. And they rolled on a chart that I'd created, and it came up as if there was a stone face floating in the sky like a disc. That's all I had written, and we've talked about this before. And so in a homebrew-type situation, it's like, okay, I've just created something. Let's see how the players react to a floating stone face. And the players leaned heavily on, let's try and talk nice to this thing and see if we get to know it, as opposed to let's charge and attack. And that was cool. And so there became a a discourse, and uh, through this conversations with it, they learned that the name of the stone was um, Crash. Kratos, and then, so that I just count up on the spot. Okay, what's the name of this thing? I don't have a name for it. Okay, the name is Kratos. And then I had to decide who Kratos was connected to, right? Because I hadn't, I like not, I used to go and have everything written down and I kind of like flying by the seat of my pants now because I get to role play as well and I get to get involved. So then I said, okay, quickly looked at my pantheon of gods and I thought, well, it's if it's a stone face in the sky, it's close to the sun, maybe it's connected to the sun. Okay, let's do that. So I said, it's Kratos, the life stone of the goddess Zonin. And he grants them three questions because they were very kind and nice to him. And so um, one question right away was, in the hour of need, would Zonin help fight Amrati? And we'll find out later that Amrati is one of the evil gods. And Kratos' demeanor changes, he has anger, and states that Amrati is the antithesis to what Zonin stands for. And a bright light emanates from their mouths, and a large, illuminated orb comes forth. It shrinks in size to a marble filled with sunlight and lands delicately on Hyase's open palm. They're told to smash it upon the ground when the darkness is all-consuming and they're in need. Kratos will be there to help them. Zonin will be the light against the darkness. And so there was other questions that they went on to ask, which we don't need to get into, but that was kind of the main one. And that was really cool. And again, that was all improv on the spot. And it was so fun to go back and forth. And the character we said, Hayase, is a... Uh, a very noble samurai. And I had to make a couple of roles and his roles went in such that he was so enamored by this event. He really didn't have a Patreon God that he followed or anything. So he actually now follows Zonin that has become his God. So this really kind of neat chain of events. And this probably played on for like an hour in our game doing this. Um, And our players were in a, I should have said they're in like a, a flying ship that they've got. um, And uh, the, um, they kind of had come across this thing on you know, on their travel somewhere. And so different players talked to it. Some did, some didn't. It was up to them if they wanted to. Uh, but this was something that really affected this uh, samurai character, Heisei, Lord Heisei. And now that is his god. And he has, like Jim said, is a certain times tried to speak to the god and kind of, uh, you know, reach out and kind of learn more. So it's become a very interesting part of that character's story now, all from some random roles and some loose fly by the seat of your pants DMing. And it's turned into a bit of a story, which is really fun. Yeah, I remember that. That was kind of terrifying. I was like, are we going to have to fight this thing? <laughs> it was kind of cool. And of course, then we're yeah. setting something up, right? Because the, all the players in my game right now know that there's a, a very bad evil trying to come back to life and uh, tied to this Amrati. And um, they found out that, uh, you know, Zonin hates Amrati. It's a complete opposite of them. And they've now got this strong thing on their side. And with this marble-sized glass orb, they smash it. You know, this Kratos might come and fight with them, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. There you go. That is a a god that I wanted to chat about today. I thought it was kind of an interesting story. Well, that's awesome. I actually don't have, I didn't have any uh, Icombrew gods that I've used. Mm -hmm. I usually just steal from already published gods, you know, I'll just. Okay. Forgotten Realms or Kryn or whatever. I'll just grab yeah. one of those gods. But I, I did make up a couple for this. Oh, cool. Just so you could throw in your game. But Sick. Yeah, demigods are more my style because it's nice. just, they're, they're more human. They have flaws and they're usually power hungry and they have yeah. usually kind of a motive. So. Yep, yep, totally. Are you going to share one with us? Uh, Yeah. I thought uh, Lady Luck. So Ooh. the god of luck, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything to do with like coins, cards, gambling, games. Anything to do with chance? Uh, she favors the wise, which mm-hmm. will, which is uh, a lot of people will discard for people believing in her because they just think that they're lucky because they're wise. Interesting. So kind of yeah, that's that. That'd that's be a cool. good one. What what color is associated with her, Jim? Probably green. I was gonna say green. Yeah, that's what yeah. I felt too. That's cool. Very cool. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know, and guys, that's what it is. I mean, you don't have to do this by any means. You can literally use the gods right out of the book um, or books. For me, I just find the players not really knowing about their gods and learning about them is just tends to be, for me, a little bit more interesting. And it makes that whole world a little bit more unknown. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the idea that I really like about Homebrew. Um, we have some amazing players in my game, people like Jim, uh, TJ, my son, Connor, these guys know a lot about Dungeons and Dragons, so they're coming with ridiculous amounts of lore and knowledge to the table. So by me throwing gods that they don't know, I hope makes the game a bit more interesting for them in that sense because they don't have any preconceived notions. And they're all such great players. They're not going to go and say, like, I know, like, Jim's not going to say, Jim knows that this god does this, so it's going to alter the way Jim will play his character. I know he doesn't do that. But it's just kind of nice if you don't know it all, then you got to like kind of learn and figure stuff out. And I find that to be kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so um, much more exciting for the yeah, players, exactly. Right? Just that unknown. And I try and do a lot of my stuff that way. I'll throw a module every once in a while into a game. Uh, and when I do, I usually change it up. And obviously, I make it fit our scenario. And I'll just kind of keep some of the guts of the module. Um, sometimes that depends on why. Like, maybe I don't really have time to go through and do stuff. Uh, I found a lot more in the previous game that it was that way, because that game was a bit more, a lot more railroady. This game is a lot more open, sandboxy, and we're just kind of going all over. So I don't really feel the need in this game to do that. Um, when I say this game, I kind of chuckle to myself, because I don't think we played since like October, which is just <laughs> terrible. We had a game scheduled, and then uh, one of the players couldn't make it, so it fell apart. We need to get back on that. Um, just been too damn busy and sick. Um, uh, let's see. Somebody else I have in here. Um, uh, there you go. It's a demigoddess. Um, uh, Abelazar, which is the female. She is a goddess of good. She is old. She's a demigoddess of light, celestial radiance, and good creatures of the sky. Her symbol is a star. And her name came from Spanish. Abelazar in Spanish means beacon, which I thought was kind of oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. Does that name sound familiar to you at all, Jim? Or? Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. So in Jim's character in our game, that's actually his girlfriend. He is literally, uh, was in a relationship with his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, ex-girlfriend. With a, yeah, ex-girlfriend with a demigoddess of light, which we found to be very, very interesting. Jim and I joked around and we had, a, his character was introduced to the team as a stone figure. And it was something that was uh, turned to stone. And through some of the research, the team found out that uh, his ex-girlfriend was a demigoddess. And they're just getting ready to meet her. That's where we left off. So it's kind of fun. So, yeah. So that's a character that uh, – a god. And like you said, Jim, I, I like demi demigods as well because like you said they're, I think, a little bit more tangible for the bigger chance that a player would interact with a demigod than they're going to do with a god. I, you know, and gods yeah. are just too, too damn busy to spend time with mortals. But uh, demigods, you have a little bit more leeway, I think. And that's yeah. kind of fun. So, like everybody's um, favorite demigod, uh, Gandalf. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, what else in here? There's, I, I wrote down all of them and I just went through and just find, find some. Uh, I thought you might like this one. Uh, it's Kazar, C A Z A R, male. Um, and it, they are neutral and they're a newer god. And it's the dwarven god of stone and mining. Oh, I have cool. no idea where I got the name from. I couldn't figure that one out. I didn't have very good notes on where I named my uh, gods from, but the uh, symbol of that is two crossed pickaxes. And uh, I also have colors that uh, go along with all of these as well. I didn't write the colors down, but it's kind of nice to do stuff like that, some symbology, if you're going to do your, you know, like a pantheon of gods, because the two crossed pickaxes you could have like carved into the side of something. And then so if somebody does a investigation or history or religion check, they might realize that, oh, this area, you know, was uh, tied to the god, uh, Kazar, the Dwarven god. And then it's just neat things you can throw into your game that way and little little clues and hints. Yeah, seen on sigils and stuff or have all yeah. the Dwarven armor, all their plates the same color as that god. Totally, totally which is kind of neat. And we talked about, I think, last episode where it's kind of fun if you have somebody coming up to a group to have colors, to have heraldry, to have symbols, things like that, that a, an observant person could pick out and then maybe do a history check and get an understanding of what that might be. That's always kind of a fun thing to do. So if you can work those things into your game, it's not super hard to do. It's a little bit more work, but if you can do it, it's those little details are really worth it. Oh, definitely. I had uh, uh, Sandman, the god of sleep. Sick, <laughs> sick. You know? And obviously that's not its real name, but you would, you could just keep that mystery even. Yeah. That's like the common name. Yeah. Uh, you pray to him for sweet dreams, uh, nice. like drinking, drinking tea, having a fire going, uh, nice. trying to sleep while the stars are out. I'll appease him. Sick. That's very cool. I like it. Yeah. Uh, did you think of any kind of a symbol that would go with that? Oh, you'd have to go stars, right? <laughs> stars are cool. Stars are like a moon. I like it. That's very cool. Um, in our first campaign, this god, uh, a demigod played a pretty big role. It's called Corriente. And uh, it was a male god, evil, old god. 
god. And it was a demigod of the undead and the underworld. And the symbol was an upside down cross. And uh, yeah, in our first campaign, Coriante was used quite a bit. Um, at the climax of that, the big final game, one of the big main NPCs, in all honesty, she was very much, I think, um, kind of kind of purloined, <laughs> stolen out of Lord of the Rings. Um kind of very much like a Galadriel type of character, but Druid-y, if that makes sense. It was a little bit like that. But um, at, during that, uh, the big evil guy um, had had a void in the terrain, and it was like a, an embedded iPhone with a swirling vortex going on. It was, I blew the wall out, all this rock fell down. You could see the spinning vortex. It was really fun. And a hand kind of tendril thing came out and it grabbed her, and she was pulled into it. And so... Um, and the characters just freaked out because she'd been with them pretty much the whole campaign, like in and out with them the whole campaign. Um, and they knew she was a big deal. But basically what it is, is she's got pulled into the underworld. And that for me was a hook that one day I will get all those my players together and we will play a one shot where they go to save her from the underworld. Oh, cool. And that was kind of always my plan a bit to have that. Uh, it was going to happen no matter what. Well, I mean, if people did something really amazing to stop it. I would have stopped. I'd let them do it. But the kind of the plan was that she would get dragged into the underworld. And at some future time, a few years after, we played or something we'd play a fun high level camp like all the players would even be higher than when they left off that kind of thing and have a really cool battle in the underworld to save her which would be oh, kind of cool. fun yeah you said it was uh you stole a little bit from lord of the rings i I'd, I'd like to say that 70 percent of all fantasy <laughs> is stolen from lord of the rings so it's, it's <laughs> i mean he's the godfather of it all right <laughs> totally is true right and and you know what I, there was a meme or something i saw the other day talking about that about you know about inspiration and where, you, and where it comes from and you know and it's like everything's stolen from everything. Um, it, it is kind of, it's so true. Somebody asked me the other day, said, even just the, my train stuff, I said, where do you get all your inspiration from? Um, and I'll be honest, I've been super fortunate my whole life. My brain just bombards me all the time with ideas. Like I lie in bed and I get different ideas to do things. It, it just comes to me. I've always been very creative that way. If anything, it's almost like it's a curse because I don't have enough time to do the things that my brain keeps telling me to do. <laughs> but saying that inspiration comes from everywhere, from all parts of life, from friendships, from discussions, from media, from, you know, like movies, TV, books, like it, it's just, you get inspired everywhere and don't ever allow yourself to feel like, like Jim just said, like so much comes from Tolkien. Don't ever feel like, yeah, that's been done or, you know, I can't, no, just take it, man. Take it and run with it. Cause your player is going to do something different with it than what happened. They're not going to copy, you know, right out of Lord of the Rings. If your stuff is similar, um, they're going to do their own thing. And that's totally cool. And it's, it's always just about putting something out there and letting people have some fun with it and, you know, hang it. I always say like you carry that framework, you just hang something up there and let the players create a story around that thing you've hung up there. Yeah. So, you just have to put a little spin on it to make it yep. different. Purple yep. orcs with big red boils on their back. That's terrifying. That's, That's horrible. They're not going to think of Lord of the Rings orcs when they see that. No, no. No. And and that's just it. Just have fun with it. And, you know, and we've said that before. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Um, we were, when we, Last episode, we talked about our favorite movies and stuff. We said, think about those movies and think about the base story. Because every movie, you can break down the story into pretty much one sentence. Like, what is that about? So break that movie down into one sentence and then see if you can apply that maybe to your campaign. Not the whole campaign, but part of the campaign. And that's a great way of doing things and coming up with like, why? I get the, For me, the thing is you always want to say, why? Why is this happening? Right? Why is this God doing? Doing this why are you know the so-called bad guys doing that and if you can figure out the why that creates a cool story so yeah there you go um so this is a funny one i, I kept it in here because it's not a homebrew it's the god heronius um but something really interesting happened on our, on our first uh, sorry, our previous game it was the first time one of my players had ever played D and uh they're very excited to play. They're very creative. Um, they're a, a, a graphic artist, so a creative mind, creative person. They had played D&D before, a lot of video games, and a lot of um, tabletop games, whenever D&D. And they were really jazzed to play. So when they were doing up their character, and I think we talked about this character before, where this is um, when they got to roll on the thing of um, special things and negative things, they were blind. They had blind sight. They had no vision, but they could almost kind of like daredevil see things. And so they cut uh, with a dagger across their eyes and cut their eyes out. That was something they did. And they said it was a religious thing that they did and all this kind of stuff. And they had, they're a cleric and they'd chosen Heronius as their god. And I said, that's cool. But in my world, Heronius isn't the Heronius of the D&D books. So I took the name Heronius and I totally changed it, um, and um, which was really fun. And uh, the what was really neat is that they kept talking about, they were called the Hand of Heronius, right? Like the they were they were Heronius's keeper and protector and all this kind of stuff. And Heronius was a new god and not hardly anybody 
even heard of Heronius. And um, they were from, uh, in my world, called the Oaken, which is a desert, kind of very Egyptian style, which was cool because I got to go down there and I got to run some Egyptian style campaigns, which was totally sick with mummies and scarab beetles and all that kind of stuff and running through Pyramid. It was sick. We loved it. Um, but what was really cool is he kept talking about Heronius and all this stuff. And what I did is that I made it that they actually didn't really remember correctly. Their memory of what was there was a completely wrong memory based on trauma. And it turned out that Heronius wound up dying kind of on their watch. So as their protector, Heronius died. And it's actually, at that point, it turned out he loved her. It was his, almost like his girlfriend. And there's a whole, and it, and it was really neat because I'm saying this and the player was freaked out because it wasn't what the player had visioned their <laughs> whole character to be. So it was this really fun, really neat uh, event. And it was based around this god that does exist in D&D, but I changed it for our game. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I didn't, I took some agency away from the player. Um, and I often say you shouldn't do that. You should always have, you always have, players should always have agency, their free will and, and things to decide. But I knew this player very well. They're a close friend and I knew that I could really mess with them on this. And it was for the best. Like it was a really great character development element and it was worth doing even though it changed the direction of their character because they thought it was this and then I told them it turned out that that was all wrong. It was a belief based on a traumatic incident that had happened to them. And when they found out the real thing, it really messed them up and they had to go through kind of a, an atonement thing and everything. It was really cool. It became a massive part of that story. Um, and it was cool. It was a lot of fun. And I know they really enjoyed it. But oh, awesome. again, taking a god that exists and I just changed it. So it really in some ways became a homebrew god in, um, in you know, in my world, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I was thinking too, like uh, all the Greek gods, you can just oh, cherry yeah. pick from them, change their name or just steal little things about them. There's tons of those. <laughs> it totally is. And and the reality, and they say this a lot, I'm, I'm not well-versed on it, but I mean, the, the stories of the Bible are really quite common in other religious faiths. Like there's very similar stories that overlap. Um, a lot of gods in different, you know, the Roman and Greek gods are very, very similar. Like, you know, so it, like Jim said, pick up a book on, you know, on Greek mythology and go through the gods, rename them, rework them a bit. And there you go. There's your whole pantheon of your own gods. Yeah. Uh, do you got any more, Jim? I uh, know those are the only two I made up for this. That's cool. I really like them. Um, just looking on here, if there's any cool ones. Um, this was kind of a neat one. It was called um, um, Merimese or Merimese. Uh, M-E-R-I-M-I-E-S, female, uh, good god, old god, and it's the goddess of sea voyages, ships, and sailors. And uh, sailboat is their uh, kind of icon. And um, one of our players right now, TJ, uh, uh, kind of prays to the god of uh, Miramis because he, he was a sailor. And it's Finnish, and in, in Finnish, that word Miramis means sailor. So it's a direct tie to it. So I guess said, you know, I could have spent two hours trying to come up with a cool name for uh, a god, but instead I just punched into the translator, English, sailor, and then just hit different languages till this one came up, Mermies. Oh, that sounds cool. That's a good name. Yeah. I kind of go with it. So not difficult to do, but uh, it's. I think it works very effectively. You get some really cool, cool names. That's perfect. I was thinking another good thing I like to do too in my games, if you have a cleric or a paladin in your game, uh, make them do rolls at the end of when they do, after like they do heroic stuff to mm -hmm. see if they, how many people they convert to their religion for being mm. like so heroic and inspiring. That's another way to like really push gods and religion. In That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, I, I think it's a, it's about thinking about what's going on and what can you do to can really enhance your characters. Like, do you know what I mean? Like let them have really some cool things that they can do, you know? And I love, like you said earlier, when the, you know, character, if they pray to their God, roll to see if the God hears them or if anything happens. Maybe they just get favor for the next day and their first, you know, first three rolls are with advantage. You could do things like that. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of cool just to play with that a little bit. And um, I think sometimes in games, the whole idea of a religion and gods gets overlooked um, or only tied to the cleric. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like that's it. So I've tried in my game to make sure there's always churches wherever the, you know, the party goes and the churches have different, obviously different gods are tied to. Um, I had the party one time come across in a dungeon, an old fountain and the water was still running and looked clean. And there was like um, silver cups on like little chains connected to the thing all over. And so it tempted them to drink from it. And it was a this way, that way type role. And it was favored more to good, but you could get bad. And there were different things that happened. And it was, again, one of the gods of water. And one of the players made a role on a religion role and figured out that it was uh, a goddess of water and it was a good god. So from the iconography on the fountains, they felt that it was safe to do so. And it was good to get some more water. Um, so you can work religion into it wherever you 
can. And I think it's worth it because it does give a whole tone and a feel to the the game if there is religion worked into it. Oh, definitely. And it's a good way to make your uh, players spend all their gold on restoring yeah. the church and helping the totally. church. <laughs> they got, if their pockets are a little too full for your liking. Yep. Yep, exactly. Yeah, you know, um, and like I said, we have in our current campaign, uh, we talked about this before, um, that Lord Hyasei, the samurai, his son is the one that died very early on. And it was only in our second or third game and um, was uh, assassinated by some amazing roles uh, from the DM. And uh, immediately one of the players, um, like we talked about TJ, the sailor, went next door to the church and kind of threw his body down on the church and said, listen, I will do anything if you can, you know, bring our friend back to life. And um, they tried resurrection. And um, like I said, in, in a resurrection situation, I don't just, if the dice rolls and it, and it happens, I just don't say it, it. I don't just blindly say it happens. I kick everybody out the room, talk to the person who died and say, listen, you're being called back to the, the, the real world. Do you want to return or do you want to stay dead? And it's really up to them, even if the spell worked. Mm-hmm. And in that case, the player decided i think it'd be really fun to just keep that character dead three games in that character dies and then we said well what do you want to do And we decided that he would play a different character for a while and then at some point about 10 games later his father turns up the dead player's father turns up which is really cool and that's who it is lord high say right now but the player that threw himself down on the church and asked if they could do it is still to this day paying off that resurrection spell and they keep telling him you don't have to and he's a man of his word and it's really cool because the um, that Lord High say doesn't know that this character who's a bit of a salty sailor doesn't they don't really get along doesn't know that he's literally paying off a debt for his son's resurrection which is really cool and I think I just it's a beautiful part of the story that you know has not come to to truths yet which is really cool yeah. but again the church is right there and they were able to do that and uh, you know it's kind of cool to have that stuff built into it yeah and like you said too it's awesome to have that uh, resurrection kind of in the bag if the party has enough money or yeah whatever right yeah like i mean three games in or so the party is nowhere near at levels that they can afford resurrection like you know resurrection well first of all there's no one in their party that can perform it because no one's at that high level enough to do it and then going to a church it's very expensive to do resurrection and they don't just throw it around you know hey let's just do this um and at that part, the party hadn't ingratiated themselves to the town. Like, you know, they mean, the town didn't know who they were. It's a little different story now that the party's done a lot of really great things for the town and has uh, made them uh, really appreciate them and has saved the town in a few situations. So, I mean, the town might even do some form of help right now, but back then they wouldn't. And so they had to try and figure out how can we do this? And uh, this player said, listen, I don't have the money, but I will do everything in my power to get it to you. And it was kind of, it was a really neat thing. And, you know, we made a couple of roles and I heavily favored the roles for him because I thought it was a neat thing to do. And, and it worked out. And they're paying off a debt that the church has said, you don't have to pay. And the character was not resurrected. So it's really cool that this is still going on. But uh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I just thought of an awesome hook for a game. Oh, yeah? So have a church near your player's base, have a, have them being able to resurrect people. So wait till one of the party yeah. members dies and then you bring them back and resurrect them, but then make it like just a crazy amount of gold that they own for it, that they can't pay. And then the yeah. church is hunting the party down. Sick. You know, kind of like an evil cult trying to get their money back. Yeah. And it'd be really cool if the church has this like very, very pleasant and nice mm-hmm. front feeling oh, to it. Sure. Yeah. But they have these really dark enforcers that are, you don't mm-hmm. ever see. And they're the ones that go out and collect the money. Yeah. <laughs> Big flails with their yep. holy symbol as like the oh, sick ends of them. <laughs> That's really cool. And it's funny you should say that because uh, we're going to take a break here in a second and we'll come back and kind of finish it off this. But part two today, what we usually call our short segment is uh, going to be a two-parter. We're going to do some this um, podcast and some next and we're actually going to start creating a homebrew world, which we think is kind of exciting. So Jim's already ahead of the game. He's already started off. <laughs> That's, That's how my mind works. I'm always thinking <laughs> of story hooks. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back to finish off our uh, talk about homebrew gods. All right. Fantasy Factoid. Did you know in the earliest versions of D&D there were no gods? In Gary Gygax's initial Greyhawk campaigns, the characters were all lower level and didn't need the divine. Soon though, players asked for gods in their world, and Gary created Saint Cuthbert, the god of law, common sense, and zeal, and Foltus, whose fanatical followers refused to believe that any other gods existed. Over time, more deities were added, like the Raven Queen, and many of these darker gods helped feed the satanic panic of the 80s. More on that in a later episode. 
Hey guys, we are back from that little break. Uh, we're just going to finish up our conversation today on the um, world of homebrew gods. And uh, one of the ones I mentioned before was Amrati. Uh, that's a female god, uh, an evil god in my world of the olden times. It's the goddess of death and necromancy. And uh, it's uh, her symbol is a skull, of course. And um, the players right now are realizing that uh, that is, um, it's on the rise. There's um, worshippers in ridiculous numbers uh, praying to Amrati and things that they've found are trying to bring Amrati back to being uh, existing in the world of Ardnor, and so that's kind of uh, an interesting thing that's going on in my world right now. So it's kind of fun. It'll be something I don't have a lot written about Amrati, uh, been referenced before, but I'll be starting to work on some more in-depth things um, in case Amrati does make an appearance. And uh, and she's a full goddess. She's not even a demigod, so she's a full goddess. So that could be a really cool kind of climax of the campaign where they're actually fighting a goddess, which would be kind of crazy. So and that's a really smart thing to do too, like to remember not to go overboard when you're making the gods. Like at first, because you might have a god, your cleric might pray to it every morning, Morning, that might be as far as that goes. Yeah. So you don't need to know all that other stuff. They just know that that's the god, the sun, or whatever, and then yeah, they pray, and that that's where that character stops with that, you know. So completely, and kind of like we said too, like that player may also. I, I always invite the player to flesh it out. It's not. I don't mm-hmm. want it just to be my job, you know. And if that player feels that, oh, if it was, re- it'd be really cool through my prayers. I learned about the god that she did this. And it's like, oh, I love that. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll make notes. That's what the god does, and it lets the player build that as well. And then again, you've allowed the player to be way more connected to the game by them adding to it, and that's always fun. Yeah. So super important to do that. Um, let's see. Maybe we'll read one more on here that was kind of a an interesting one that we haven't read. Um, Kraska, uh, K-R-A-S-K-A. Kraska, it's a female god of good, old god. She was a uh, lesser goddess of love and beauty, uh, mm-hmm. symbolized by a heart. And in Czech to English, Kraska means beauty. Very easy to see where that came from. But uh, again, it was just easy by typing in the word beauty, flipping through a bunch of different languages to find. And a lot of them, the word beauty in a lot of languages, especially in the Romance languages, Italian and Spanish and, you know, and French and stuff. It was, you know, I can't even remember what it is off the top of my head, but it sounds very much like beauty. Like, you know, you can see the connection. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Okay, small heart attack there, people. Uh, Discord just completely crashed on us, and uh, we're just fingers crossed hoping it's uh, recording right now, um, or we might just be talking to ourselves. Uh, if we're talking to ourselves, I am not going to go back and record this, so this is a one, one-shot one pony. You get it now, and that's it. So uh, <laughs> there you go. I was going to uh, ask you about that uh, the heart symbol yeah. for that god. Is it like a real heart or like the Valentine's Day heart, like where it looks... I drew it as supposed I, to be like a yeah. I picked it as a, like a Valentine's, like a traditional, like you know, little yeah. loopy heart. But uh, I kind of like what you're saying. It would be neat if it was actually a real heart. That'd be sick. Yeah. Well, I like that because the, the the like Valentine's Day heart. That's like supposed to look like a butt, isn't it? I think <laughs> like when they first did that. Interesting. <laughs> there you go. So they're praying to a butt. I like it. Um, yeah. Is there anything we wanted to follow up? I, I think this was. It's an interesting topic. It's it's. Hard not to talk about it while just kind of like listing gods. It's kind of a feeling, so I don't want to get too, too lengthy on this. But uh, it's very interesting. I think the biggest thing, like we said, is I'd recommend anybody, if they want to delve into it, please do. And it's it's not hard to do. Reskin existing gods, make up some of your own. Like Jim made up a couple right there that were really cool. Um, there's obviously some very common ones you're going to have. Some god of death, some god of life, you know, like mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, if you want to add some spice to your game, certainly look at doing that. Um, and just in... Encourage your clerics and pal- and even your bards or whoever whoever yep. wants to be religious. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, you could have you something if you really want it to be crazy. You could take your game right now and have something wipe out all the existing gods that you're using. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're using gods from D and D. Wipe them out and have a whole bunch of new gods come into your world. And that's how you could go and you don't have to have the beginning of a campaign to create gods. You could literally have the gods wiped out, and that could be a huge story point. And then new gods come up from that, and that could be the gods that you create. Um, yeah. Anyways, it, it's it, it's not a have to. Uh, nothing that Jim and I talk about on here is a have to thing ever. It's just ways that you can uh, kind of make your game that much more if you want. Right. Yeah. Anything else, or is that kind of got us for uh, talking about uh, homebrew gods? Ah. Uh- um, as another thing I was going to say for putting religion in your game for that, uh, I've had players do this and I've ha- I've had a character like this have uh, clerics who carry around like pamphlets and booklets on their religion mm-hmm. and just hand them and out mm-hmm. and always spamming every tavern <laughs> every time they 
kill some bad guys, put some pamphlets around in the place, you know, and then you can make them make rolls to see if anyone, you know, maybe got converted. (laughs) That's cool. I love it. Yeah. Why not? Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Have them go around, knock on doors. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Have you heard about the God (laughs) zoning? Yeah. She's really (laughs) cool, man. Players love that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sick. All right, everybody. That's kind of our wrap up then on uh, Homebrew Gods. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, Any questions, any comments in the uh, information below, if you're accessing this off of our um, podcast website, I will actually give a link to all my gods because it is a webpage that exists and I can link to it for you and you can go and check it out. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. If you have any questions or any comments, uh, you're more than welcome to email us. And Jim, that email is... Uh, crystal ball at 13 sided die.com dot com dot comrade perfect that's right off the top of my head too yeah it's a russian website dot comrade um <laughs> definitely perfect. <is> yeah not. <laughs> definitely is not um yeah if there like i said if there's any questions please let us know uh, or you can always get a hold of us on uh instagram as well but this was a fun topic and uh thank you uh, I think we're going to read at the end. We always do a little, um, uh, someone who's give us a comment or review. And I can't remember who the gentleman was, but they did ask for this. And we'll mention that at the end of the thing. So thanks a lot for the putting this up as an idea to talk about. I liked it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on. <laughs> Homebrew building. All right, guys, we are back to chat about a kind of thing that Jim and I are very excited about. This is going to be a two-parter. We're going to do some brainstorming today, and then in our next episode, we'll do some finalization. But our goal is to try and create a bit of a homebrew world that you could use in your your game if you'd like, or whatever. Just learn how, kind of a little bit of how we do it. So that's kind of our goal, and I know we're both very excited about it, right? Yeah. Are we going to do uh, small out or big in? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. It's a good question. Um, I, I, I want to throw it right away. Just something that popped in my head this week. That I was very excited on. I've never played this, and I just thought it'd be. A, I just kind of like the whole scenario. Was that what if your players were on a ship that winds up? They're, they're traveling somewhere. That's how the game starts, and the ship sinks. And you can come up with whatever reason, like maybe it's natural, like a Titanic thing, or maybe it's actually scuttled by some bad dudes or something. But whatever, the ship crack goes in. down, crack in, and they wound up using bits and pieces of. I uh, get some neat rolls, stuff going on, but bits and pieces of boat, and they float to an uncharted island and they're shipwrecked. You can bring some of the other people along in the boat as NPCs, but they're on an island and they don't know where they are or what they, what's going on. And I guess the whole goal would be to try and survive and get off the island. I think that would be a really cool... And who knows what's on this island? You Because it's... Again, if it's a homebrew world, you can put anything you want on this island. Mm-hmm. You create a whole campaign of just being on this island. Um, I think that's just a neat idea. I've never I've never heard anyone playing that. They probably have, but I've never heard of one before. And I think that'd be an amazing campaign. Shipwrecked, yeah. Awesome. Right? I love it. Yeah, let's do it. Because <laughs> you could just do so many things. Like the whole... You could just... what What's you know what's on this island? And you just start going through the different areas of the island. And I don't think it's a massive island. Like it's not like, you know, a big country, but it's... It's an island that you could maybe travel, you know, within a couple of days, you could get from one end to the other type of thing. So it's something they can move around on fairly easily. And there's probably natives on the island. There could be like like a kind of a pirate area of the island where people come and go from. You know what I mean? Like it's just a, a crazy mm-hmm. scenario that you could just do so much with. Um, anyways, that's just something that popped in my head as I was thinking about this homebrew thing. Uh, and I think it'd be a neat way of if you've never done a homebrew before, it might be a fun way to because you've created a, a sandbox in a way that, mm-hmm. and I don't mean it in the sense of, uh, I just not really saying it, probably you just created a, a confined area that you can put stuff in and you're not, the, the things around it are not affected. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's an easier homebrew to make because it's a smaller world to create. And then as you get going, you could expand and have them leave the island and then you can get bigger with your world. But it'd be a great way, I think, for someone who's never done it before to start because they could just fill what's on this island and it's only what's on the island that affects the players at this point. So it's kind of a neat way to start, I think, in a smaller scale. Anyways. Yeah. I, and I like the sandbox analogy because I always think uh, you want enough toys in your sandbox for your players to play with. Right, right. And, and uh, to me, like D&D, a lot of it is about exploration. And that's what this would mm-hmm. be. It's like people like washed up on the beach. They'd be doing a bunch of work, a lot of roles to find out how much stuff they managed to save from the ship. What gets, if somebody probably goes down every morning and checks the beach for what got washed up with the tide and any new things they find. And then mystery items could wash up maybe. And that's maybe why they got sunk. Something turns mm-hmm. up on the beach and that's why, you know, the ship was sunk. Somebody's actually trying to get to this item. And then you got the bad guys come to the island. They have to fight them. And yeah, there's just so many things you can do. Again, not saying that's what this should be about. I just think it's a really cool idea that I know I for myself are very excited. I can see that as a great game to play. It'd be a really interesting format to be in. 
Yeah. First night shelter. That'd always be a good one. That's right? a fun one. Right? Yeah. Crazy. Um, what else you got? What do you got on your mind? For like, uh, for ours? Yeah. We're doing here? We're doing shipwrecked. We don't have to though. Anything. It's totally wide open right now. We're just, we're just talking. No, no, no. This is shipwrecked. It's already in my head now. <laughs> so there's. I poisoned him. <laughs> there's got to be something that's spooky at night. That's yeah, right? so important that they have to have that first shelter. Yes. Maybe what some like, like some like four-armed, like big gorilla orangutan kind of monsters. That's cool. Okay. First of all, then if they're on this Island, where do you want to, like what kind of environment do you want to put this Island in? Like what is kind of, is it like a tropical Island? Is it like a, you know, out of the, the Northwest coast of like our, of Canada, of our world, like a BC type of Island. You know what I mean? Like what type mm-hmm. of climate weather type Island do you see this being Jim? Uh, I like tropical when I think shipwrecked. Isn't it terrible? Like that's, I'm just in my head. It's gotta be <laughs> tropical. You gotta like palm trees and yeah, coconuts you know, and coconuts. Yeah. And I think you want the players to have never been there. Like, do you know what I mean? Like they have come like this, it'd be like a, a foreign land to them. So everything would be having to learn new things about this Island. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I'm not a big avatar fan, but maybe it's kind of like that, you know, like a, a tropical Island avatar type crazy world. You know what I mean? Where there's just all these you know, neat insects and just crazy creatures and stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so a tropical and obviously some kind of a crazy gorilla thing works. Yep, just writing that down. Scary orangutan slash gorilla four-armed monsters. Nice. So, like, they've got, like, two legs and four arms. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of like... Real quick at climbing. Real quick. What is the bad guy again in Mortal Kombat? Goro. Yes. Yes. (laughs) He's sick. (laughs) Did you know that Mortal Kombat was actually uh, based off of a Finnish him? Really? Is that our fantasy factoid? (laughs) Finnish him? Oh, (laughs) Seriously, seriously, did you have to go there? <laughs> you clown. And I'm like totally believing you. Like, really? It's a finish him. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Yeah, we'll have to apologize for that one, but that was awesome. Um, okay, so yeah, so I, I mean, obviously on their first night there, and I think would probably be generous. I, I think I, as a DM, would have them wash up on the beach in the morning. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it happens in the morning. So they've got the day to try and kind of figure stuff out and kind of yeah. get some bearings and stuff. Um, but then at night, and I think maybe these um, these creatures, they got to make a weird sound, right? Yeah. And then and maybe they're uh, like, maybe they can't see in the daylight. That's why they only come ooh, out at night. Ooh, that's cool. And they make a weird sound and that's what becomes very kind of spooky. Like what's going on? What is that noise? Because we've not heard that. And everything is so much, you, you go to your backyard in the middle of the night and it feels spooky. Do you know what I mean? Like there's something about darkness that just makes everything spooky. Yeah. Yeah. We had an owl for quite a few months. Really? And yeah. That, it sounded awesome. But if you didn't know what an owl was, that would be terrifying. <laughs> that would be terrifying. <laughs> terrifying. Um, now, of course, one of the biggest things whenever you're in a situation of uh, like that survival thing, the things you're looking for obviously are uh, shelter, uh, warmth, right? Warmth, shelter, mm-hmm. food, um, pure water. So these are the things that on that first day, they're going to have to try and figure out immediately, like, you know, um, gather everyone together. Like, I think it'd be really interesting to have everybody washed up at different areas of the, you know, of the island, Mm, not super far away, but enough that they have to go around, try and collect everybody and find out who they've got. And then they'd have to figure out, okay, let's gather up any supplies that we have, do an assessment, um, get an initial camp together for the night. Uh, You can't, it's like ocean water, so you can't drink the water. They'd have to go into the island to try and find a pool of natural water, a spring or something, and then uh, fire. And then that, that's not too hard for adventures. There's be. probably a sorcerer or a wizard or someone that can fireball. A, there's probably somebody <laughs> at a first level who has some ability to make some Firebolt. flame. Yeah, yeah, something. But if not, then they're going to have to figure that out. <clears throat> and there's some mm-hmm. skill rules to try and see if they can make fire. Yeah. Um. So we should probably make this kind of like how I make my homebrew town. So like what's the town or so now this would be the what's the island's main resource. Right. So, okay. Well, are there any inhabitants on the island before our players get there? That's not the scary orangutan monster. That's right. Yeah. Like, like, is there any group of, um, people or, you know, like persons, items, things that, that live on the island? And and I think there has to be, like, I think that'd be, and they don't find them right away, but I think that'd be kind of cool to have some indigenous people on that island. Maybe like some, uh, like savage halflings. Something crazy like that. Kind of like a dark sun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like the Lost Boys in um, mm-hmm. Hook. 
Yeah. <laughs> and um, okay. And what could be on the now? This is where you can go to a bigger story. Like, is there something on the island that um, maybe there's like marauding pirates that come every once in a while because there's something special they come to the island to get? You mm. know, like you know, like in D and sorry, Middle Earth, it'd be kind of like a you know like a, a vein of mithril that they're coming in. They're, they're digging out of some mine or something, but is there some kind of ore or some kind of magical thing that they're coming and, you know, getting from the island? Is it like a um, rainforest where if this thing keeps being removed, it's slowly killing the ecosystem on this island? So you can almost have like an eco war where, you know, um, the players maybe wind up teaming up with the local, you know, uh, warrior halflings to try and stop the marauders from taking the essence away from the island. That would be kind of a cool story to go down. Yeah, definitely. And again, I, I, and I'm sure you're like this too, Jim. I like to think about all possibilities and like that little storyline could be something that doesn't even happen for like, even start happening for like 10 or 14 games before you even get to the point of starting to develop that storyline. It's, it's the build up to it, you know? Yeah. But uh, it's neat to think about all the different things that it, that could be on there that they get to investigate. I know when I created um, Ardnor, we talked about this before and I did a, a general map. I just started going through different areas and saying, okay, I want, like I said, I want Egypt. I want a kind of a desert, very desert area, arid, dry desert. Cool. Um, I want swamps. Great. I want a very mountainous area. Good. That's cool. I want a big snowy mountainous area too. So I put that way up in the north, right? And then I just started thinking of all the different terrain that I'd like the players to wind up at some point adventuring in and just started putting them on my, it's more, Ardnor is more of a continent, a big area. So it's the same with our little island. It's like, what kind of things do we want to put in there? What are the, what are cool things that we could have? You know, I mean, my mind goes to like some kind of really cool, massive waterfall. And then, you know, is there something behind the waterfall? Is there a cave that leads into something behind the waterfall? It's very tropey, mm-hmm. but it's fun. You know, um, maybe there isn't, maybe you have to dive into the water, swim underneath the waterfall. And then there's an entrance into a cave right where the churning water is under the waterfall. That's how you get into some kind of secret area. Um, yeah. You know, is there a volcano on this island? Definitely. Yeah. And you could have like a cool volcano god or something, you know, like and the little ha- halfling warriors pay tribute to the volcano god, which maybe is tied to what the main resource on this island is. Maybe there's some kind of, you know, magical essence in the volcano. All right. The wheels are spinning. Oh, look out. He's getting excited. Warrior halflings. Okay. So they live in little hobbit holes that are in the side of the volcano, like on, on the mountainside. So they have like spears sticking down. So the, you know, yep. the scary orangutan gorillas can't climb up and get them. And when you think about it, the volcanic rock, it, when it hardens and stuff, it creates those weird shapes and it can have mm-hmm. those ones like with holes and stuff in them. So they live in these things that the volcanic rock has created. Do you know what I mean? So there's all these channels and tunnels that are naturally born into the rock by the volcano. And that's what they live in. Yeah. I love it. Definitely. And then, so the resource is fire elementals that pirates are stealing to like, mm. um, cause they sell them like as in, enslaved fire elementals oh. for ships or what, uh, forages, Crazy. whatever. Crazy. Right? Love it. So it's kind of so like then- a slave trade for, yep. yep fire elementals that's crazy i love that idea and then if you take too many of them out of the volcano the volcano is going to blow up and yeah destroy the island totally totally very cool so i i i think also people listening um you can see how jim and i bouncing ideas off each other how quickly it would come this is way faster than it would be if one of us did it solo and i've said this to a lot of people a lot of times if you have the ability talk to somebody else who plays and or DMs and just bounce ideas off with them because you can really come up with some cool stuff quickly. Yeah, that one's that's cool. Um, let's see what else we got here. So size, we got that. Um, wealth that doesn't really apply. The culture of the island that'd be the halflings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we would spend some time thinking up a little bit about all the halflings. Like what what is their culture about? Mm-hmm. What you know have, have they just always been there, or did they start from a shipwreck thing? Like how did they get there? You can do some history on that. Not too deep, but a little bit. Um, yeah. I kind of also like the idea that um, kind of to steal from um, your favorite area, Star Wars, uh, Return of the Jedi, when the Ewoks <laughs> had all their little um, village as in the trees. I think it'd be really cool for the halflings to be ground dwellers underground, but also have created up in trees, these little walkways. So they're up above everything in certain areas. So you could actually have them up above the players and things and the players don't even know they're up there type of thing. Um, I think this idea of little halflings running through the trees would be pretty cool. Kind of like Tarzan swinging from one tree to the other and Mm -hmm. really kind of cool little warrior dudes. Yeah. And you'd have to have the bridges like super high up and on like very thin branches. So it's only light enough for them to use. 
<laughs> totally. Yeah, and then so the you know the scary orangutan monsters can't use them. Exactly. Exactly. That would yeah. be really fun. There's a D and D monster that looks like a scary orangutan. I'm pretty sure it has. Yeah. Multiple arms too. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. So for next session, I'll uh, do my research and figure out that up. what those are actually called. That's cool. Or if somebody knows, they can tell us. Um, oh yeah, that'd be easier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that. Um, so from the, this would be a fun thing to add to it because there's a volcano. A lot of times, volcano creates those. Um, you get a lot of hot springs and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then fissures in the earth. You could have a random thing where every once in a while there's an explosion out of the earth and a geyser shoots out mm. hot water, right? Yeah. So different parts when the party's going through, there could just be a random roll and does one of these geysers go off and there's like a roll to see dexterity roll to see if you're hit by it or not and that's just something inherent danger in that world geysers and air vents kind of things yeah exactly vents yeah definitely um Okay, we need to do more about the pirates. Yeah, and my head starts thinking that is potentially one of the ways they get off the island. If they could overthrow the pirates, then the pirates got there somehow, so then they could leave on the pirates' vessel. Mm-hmm. Right, So that could be a way off the island for them, which could be kind of a neat part of the storyline. Um, so do the pirates come by airship? Do they come by um, by sea? Or do they come by some kind of teleportation thing? Probably sea or air. I, I the teleportation is something you could obviously do. I'm never a fan of teleporting and zapping around the worlds. Uh, I I just I don't know. It's never been a thing for me. I think it's kind of a. Yeah. It feels like a cheat in a way. Well, I then get the it. players can use it too. Yeah, you know. So I'm thinking. I I like what you're saying, Jim. They they need to have, and I think probably a ship because a waterborne ship would be able to be bigger. They could have like some kind of bigger ship docked out in the water they come to shore with a smaller one and they got these special cages to trap the fire elementals in some kind of crazy magical cage mm-hmm. and then they got to get that back out to the ship um, what happens which- if they have both so they show up in a giant airship because mm. they have these fire elementals that they could have yeah. these ebron type motors yeah. on their ship and then they drop their little ships to go to the interesting island. that's cool totally so they get our players one day just seeing out at sea this huge big airship kind of come out of the clouds and hover over the water. And it drops down these little floating vessels that come across. Mm-hmm. These, that'd be crazy. Because then it's not just trying to hijack a pirate ship. They got to go into yeah. an airship and then that's a whole other animal. Totally. Totally. That's cool. Small ships. So what other things do we have in regards to, um, so there's the water surrounding the island itself. Earlier, you said something about a kraken. Maybe there is a big beast that's in the ocean too. So the idea, and like maybe, maybe that's like you said, that's what attacked the ship originally and brought the ship down. So the idea of just making a small boat and floating away is pretty scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe once in a while have them see like just a giant tentacle come out of the ocean and where so you know, some of the players will be like, no, thank you. <laughs> so if that's the case, how about the pirates never go on the water? They they come down with these huge, big airship and they use little smaller airships to come to land. So they do, they know the water's unsafe. They don't even go mm. in the water. Yeah. And so that way our players can't just make a boat and float off. Maybe they try, but they get attacked by the Kraken again. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So it kind of traps them in, in essence. Yeah. No, that's good. And little airships, yeah. So now as we're talking, people, it sounds like we've we've made up the whole story. And I know it sounds a lot like that. And, and when I'm thinking about a, a campaign in a world, that's kind of in essence what I do. I kind of think of what the story and, and that, but I find what always happens, and that's what it should, the players make their own story within that. But if there's not the ideas and the depth and the area for them to play in, then it's it's hard for anyone to come up with anything because then they're just it's like a blank piece of paper to them that's no fun so if you can lay out these parameters and this world that they're in they'll come up with stories and ideas and things to do that jim and i never would even think of which is really cool but the more things you can think of about this world to flavor it and tell them about it and the more things like i said if they're walking somewhere all of a sudden a geyser goes off um one of them's out on patrol at night and all of a sudden they're attacked or chased by one of these crazy big four-armed gorillas um, like all this stuff is there, which is really interesting. And, and I think it, it adds a lot to them. You know, there's going to be somewhere, there's going to be this encounter with this tribal race of these little warrior halflings, you know, and I think it's probably a negative encounter right at the beginning. Oh, for sure. <laughs> they, you know, the, the halflings trust nobody. And yeah. so they have to eventually try and win the halflings over to work with them. Maybe like, there's just a lot of neat stuff like that. And that is politics, right? Like what is the politics of the island? Well, there's these 
poor, oppressed little halfling warriors where these bad goons keep coming in and stealing their stuff. And they're seeing, and they pray to the, the volcanic god, and they're seeing every time the bad guys leave, the god's getting angrier and, and weaker and angrier. Yeah. And it's things on the island are dying. Um, you know, you could have like once beautiful pools of radiant water are turning into like swamps. Mm, sulfuric acid kind of exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're seeing their island dying. So they trust nobody and the players would have to win them over and then rise up with them maybe. Um, yeah. I, I think there's some really cool ideas there. Yeah. We got a pretty good base to build off of now. I have to do some brainstorming. It's good, right? Yeah. A uh, cool. good one we got to think about is uh, unique structures. That'll probably be a good one for next time. But yeah, think you know, something that the players can discover that's, yep. you know, yep. not native to the island. That's something somebody built there. Maybe the pirates built a little base on there. Totally. Totally. And then the question, do, do any pirates remain in between visits? And I tend to think no, because of the, you'd have to have so many there to be, you know, fighting against the halflings. So they probably just like, you know, lock up and leave type of idea. So maybe the players can come across that stronghold and learn stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe there is a couple that stay back. A couple stay back. Certainly traps. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of cool things, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you can go into history. Like, maybe when they start doing exploring and they're going into the volcano area to explore, maybe there was previous civilizations there. So maybe there's like a whole dungeon area, you know, that's done through caves and caverns all within the, um, you know, the volcano that they can go and explore and find stuff there. Yeah. You know, from a historical sense, which is really fun. Um, there's so much you can do. It's it's really exciting. Yeah, like, because there's definitely lizard people that used to live on the island before the halflings. I like the idea of lizard people. That's sick. So, you know, lizard yeah. people in the middle or the hollow earth theory. <laughs> totally. I love the idea of that. I love it. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and what's to say that maybe with the volcano and the stuff and the, the putrid pools and stuff, maybe that's the perfect environment for lizard people to start coming back to life. Like mm. dormant eggs of lizard people start growing and all of a sudden the lizard people start an uprising. And you bring in another whole group. Um, yeah, like I said, it's just so much fun that you can have. And the whole thing is just to think of different little plot hooks that you could put in that would give your player something to bite into and, and explore and have fun with. But lizard folk question mark in my notes (laughs) (laughs) i love it cool is there anything else we want to add today or is that a good start oh i think this is an awesome start now we can just do a little brainstorming and then love it come back with some bigger ideas to flesh it out a little bit bit more yeah yeah i love it that's great so that next next time that's our goal then to come back with some more ideas we've got something started and we'll uh we'll try and cap it all off and then hey if anybody wants to use it have fun with it man Definitely. And uh, email us if you guys have any suggestions. Yeah. So shoot us a message on Instagram. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. Cool. All right, buddy. I look forward to uh, next episode when we continue this. Yeah, me too. Sweet. Next time on 13-Sided Die. Hey, everybody. We are going to close out the show here with a few things. I want to say thanks so much to everybody for tuning in and listening. Uh, just both of us are blown away with the support we get from you guys. You're just fantastic. You're not going to say anything. You're just going to, you're just, you're just going to like, just, that's it. Okay, fine. My fans know that I love them. <laughs> no, thank you, everyone. That's, it's amazing. All the support we've got. You guys it's, are, we have the best fans. It's wild. It is so wild. So thank you. And then if you guys want to, you know, send us something, please do. We do love hearing from you. If you can follow the show, it means a lot to get that little follows and comments and all those kind of things. If you can review it, that'd be even better. Like those things are just great. So thank you, everybody out there. Um, we do like to read a review we get from people. Uh, this one here is from Brian. And Brian says, hey, Sean and Jim, big fan. Love listening to you guys while I paint minis, carve foam and work on campaign stuff. Listening always leaves me with tons of inspiration. Someday I'd love to hear about your home-brewed gods, goddesses, demigods, cults, spirits, and whatever other lore you might be willing to share from your home-brewed worlds, especially if they come with any game mechanics or key story elements. Thanks for reading, Brian. So what a great comment, and obviously today's uh, main topic came directly from this. So if you guys want to hear us yeah. talk about something, send it in and we'll talk about it, right, Jim? Yeah. And I think it was a fun topic. I really enjoyed going back and looking at that stuff, the gods and goddesses. And uh, I really had a fun time starting to build that little homebrew world. Oh, uh, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Fun little topic. Um, interesting, because I think Jim and I crossed our wires a little bit, because I think Jim's thought was going to be more about talking about how we do homebrew stuff. And mine was like, let's make something homebrew. So we got things messed up. But I think the best of things came out of it. And uh, I think we've decided for next show, 
that'll be the main topic, talking about how we incorporate homebrew into our games and what homebrew is and all that kind of stuff. Is that that makes sense, Jim? Yeah, and then we can finish up the part two of us making that island and what's going yeah. on there. The Island of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Volcano <laughs> Island. <laughs> well, we'll we gotta workshop that well, name, we'll but. work on it we'll work on it uh yeah i think that's probably just about everything do you have anything to, to add before we close out jim uh no i'm just gonna be thinking about that island and all the all my ideas that are going already i'm excited about it i think it's really fun so there we go. who knows maybe what would be fun is maybe in a non-too-distant future we'll have a one shot of that island and we'll have people sit around and play and that will be our podcast us playing oh. the, the island that would be fun mm, maybe get some fans in on that one that would be cool awesome All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you guys again. See you guys. Well done, you. You've made it to the end of the podcast. You are a bold adventure to be sure. Remember to fill your water skin and to have your blade sharpened at the blacksmith's before departing. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to our podcast to be notified of new 13-sided die adventures. Don't forget to tell your friends about the silly fools talking about D&D. 13-Sided Die has been brought to you by Sean and Jim. Executive produced by Sean and Jim. Mini painting by Sean and Jim. Engineered by Sean and Jim. Cobble and torture device by Sean and Jim. Conceptualized by Sean and Jim. Please note, no goblins were harmed in the making of this podcast.